Hello everyone and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. My name is Henry and seeing as we are putting out this one on a Monday, quite simply I didn't have the wherewithal to get everyone on the same remote podcast recording software twice in one week. So it's just going to be a quick flyby intro for me. So I was in Monsen and the other week at the World Cup trying to get as many podcasts with all the races that I know you're keen to hear about. So this week we sat down with Windmasters to hear all about his brotherly racing, his privateer project and life on GT. I hope you enjoy it. Win, thank you for coming on the Pink White Podcast. There's a lot I want to talk to you about. Brotherly rivalry. Uh, <laughs> racing as a Kiwi. Um, as well as just get your input on kind of various parts of the sport. But I think something that a lot of people really associate with you now is your, so your effort to support privateer racers. What do you think it is about privateer racing and mountain biking that the audience finds kind of so romantic and really wants to see sustained? Um, well, thanks very much for having me on, first of all. Oh, um, <laughs> good to be here. And I think everyone kind of can really associate themselves with that because it's just kind of the everyday man or woman going out and going racing, really. So it's like it shows people that it's possible to do it if you want to. Yeah. So I think this is like pretty cool. Um, and then they, yeah, they can really envision themselves doing it in some way or they they want to support them to do it and everyone likes to back the underdog so it's kind of one of those stories so yeah so were any of your i mean i think you're right for the record i agree with everything you said were your was was it shaped by your own experience as a privateer what was that like how did you get into elite level mountain biking did you have a couple of years sort of doing your own thing because you're on that bull setup for maybe what 10 years ago something like yeah, that yeah i've finished up with bulls eight years ago yeah um i'd ridden for them for three years uh pretty much professional with them already and then yeah prior to that kind of some smaller teams and cracking on and then the first season i did in europe was 2008 and i was full privateer full privateer yeah and you know coming halfway around the world to race world cups I'm sure, you know, it's so many things. There's so many things you don't know, you, you don't know, right? Yeah. But what was your first season like? Were you kind of blindsided by it? Were you loving just being away from home? What, what was that experience like? Uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting because I knew only one person for a friend of mine rather than actually knowing many people that were doing it. I flew, flew to Europe by myself and flew straight to Portugal. There was a race on there. So I knew this one guy that was going to the race. He picked me up, stayed at his house. And then from there, I had to meet everyone to try and get a lift to the next race and, and so on and so forth. And what, what did you do for money? Did you, were you working the off-season to get helped out a bit? Do you have good sponsorships? How did nah, you make it work? All self-funded. So I worked in Australia. Um, I moved to Australia to work in 2006 because I was just not saving enough in New Zealand um, and then did labouring jobs and some mine work in Australia for a couple of years to get enough money to go for that first season in 2008. Didn't have much money, probably like, I think I had 11,000 New Zealand dollars. Yeah. That's including my flights at the time. And then the exchange rate was probably worse than it is now. So it was pretty tight on the budget. So then I just had to 
make it work how I could. I had no van or anything. I just winged it and met people and people helped out. And then now it's kind of my opportunity to give back for those people helping me. Yeah, that's so cool, man. And do you think compared to, you know, 15 years ago, if you do you think it's harder to be a privateer now or then? Because probably some things are harder, some things are easier. I mean, bikes at least are more yeah. reliable now. <laughs> yeah, like the bikes, the difference in the bikes between a professional rider and a privateer is a lot less now so that's a good thing but maybe the teams have more support than they used to like they didn't have all these people on the track doing all the stuff and they didn't have all of that before now they do so i think some of those things are are definitely harder now but at least the bike's a lot better but do you think when what's what's your response to the argument that if we want mountain biking to become a bigger better you know, more, I suppose, a liquid, liquid sport at high yeah. level, then sadly, privateers might just be the casualty. And to get those, you know, out of, especially out of industry sponsors, want to have some guarantee that they're going to see their big logo in the top 20. And quite frankly, a privateer that's having their hero run and living their dream, you know, just pipping in in the top 60 and then making it to the big show, that's kind of in conflict with that, which is the argument, I suppose. And what's, what would be your response be to that? Uh, well, it is maybe, yes, but people can really get behind the story of pe- someone chasing their dreams and making it to the top. Yeah. So I think those stories are almost more valuable than trying to sell just the big star that you're probably the, right. the yes. same person every time. And if you limited it to 30 people and only had the same 30 people, would that not just be boring? Mm. Like, surely we want all these stories that come out, like Ocean winning in. Uh, snowshoe that's a great story he's he's number 43 plate so if they had their way and they want this top 30 only he might not even be racing yeah so true so that's a great story you know yeah it's it's hard as well i think in downhill it's such a hmm. i think there's so many ebbs and flows and people can just literally have a bad year or two then they come back to it and if in that bad year or two they slip down the order enough just through some unlucky injuries that has taken another two good years to get maybe back up through the ranks, back up to the World Cup level, you might really never get anyone. Your whole career could be defined by being in the wrong place at the wrong time and getting to the peak is getting to the highest level just as maybe you haven't get unlucky with another injury or you end up on a bike that doesn't suit you or the forks don't work and you could end up just being out of cycle for your whole career if yeah, it was in some kind or, of relegation system. Or just not have a career because of it. So you you. If they do make it super elite like that, then yeah, I think it's, for me personally, I, I don't like it, but um, some of these top riders, they might like that. It, it sounds like more money, big promises at the time, but the sports that I've seen that have had more money and all this corporate sponsorships, they're not better for it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not cooler. Yeah. The athletes are not having a great time in those sports. It's funny, so we're just talking at MSA with Snowshoe last week, and for instance, we like I said, Oshina Callahan, but also Ronan Dunn, he's yeah. kind of a slow burner into elite. Even, I mean, Bernard Kerr was chipping away for years. Yeah. Benoit um, Coulange. Benoit Coulange, Andreas yeah. Kolb. Yeah. These, I mean, what do you think it is about getting into the elite level that some of these riders struggle to transition with? Because I mean, even some of the, you know, the best that there are right now. I mean, obviously people like Jackson stuff and anomaly, but like it took Finn a while to kind of crack the yeah. elite field. What, what do you think it is about 
it makes it so difficult because then that's another another big factor is that if you do have that 30 rider elite you might just have first second year elites that just bag for their first two years and that could really damage their confidence and actually think sometimes yeah. it's better to develop with a degree of privacy yeah i think it's it's the mental game to really believe in yourself and go into you're going to race against your heroes or your idols that you grew up looking up to so it's getting over the fact that fact and then uh being able to believe in yourself completely and deliver your best performance on the day when you're in junior you go up the top of the hill you're like well i've got 25 qualifying spots it's pretty simple like you're not stressed then you go get thrown in like high stress environment it's totally different to what you had in junior so it doesn't really prepare you for that like not not as it used to like they used to not even have a junior category and then the cream really rises to the, to the top you know yeah totally um looking back at you coming over you know this first year's privateer what was your relationship well, when, when eddie came over how old how much older are you than eddie uh two years older do you, do you think you kind of blazed the trail for him to come through or do you think he's was you know did it because you would weren't really part of the van so much as no. his little thing hey yeah, yeah, he he came over and started that whole thing with his crew. So um, that was like four years, or four and four or five years after I'd really gone already been racing. So I went over and kind of got on some teams, and then he was like, "Well, like, this is actually doable." And he was at university the whole time, so he was he said he was staying up at night watching the races on Freecaster, no <laughs> and then cool. he's like, "Well, we could actually maybe do this after university." I didn't go to university, so he. He went and did that. Then um, he came over for his first season in 2012 and he actually struggled the whole time. Like yeah. he didn't even qualify. And then it took until 2013 for him to qualify for a race. Yeah. And then from there, he figured out what works for him and he wasn't trying to be this serious pro athlete guy and just did it his own way. And that it worked for him. And then he started getting some really good results and it was all up from there. I think, um, so I spent... Between 2011 and 2019, I did the summers in New Zealand. So I kind of somewhat familiar with, with, with the place. Um, believe it or not, people did pick up on my accent. They knew I wasn't from, wasn't a Kiwi, if you can believe it, win. <laughs> and, um, but it feels like there's a really healthy amount of sort of irreverence in Kiwi, sort of, you know, in New Zealand culture. I wouldn't say us Brits were kind of pompous. We're kind yeah. of pretentious often yeah. um, and status based. And I think that's one of the most fresh, refreshing parts about new zealand is that people puncture that if you're pompous people just will just kind of cut you down to size yeah it feels like both you and eddie sort of embody that and it feels like maybe with this with the privateer thing definitely eddie and that vanzac thing sort of ruffled a few feathers in the establishment but probably feathers that needed ruffling like i don't know i can't imagine i can't imagine that the powers that be at discovery are really happy to have this established rider being like well you shouldn't cut the field size and you need to support more of these privateers that are the lifeblood of the sport. They're yeah. probably like, actually, this isn't, we're trying to give you what you want. Yeah. Stop telling us to give it to someone else, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, they probably don't like it, but I just speak my opinion and I'd rather do that than hide behind my opinion and never let it out because it's, what's the point in an opinion if you don't voice it, I think. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've made a living out of spouting bullshit opinions. Yeah. <laughs> um, I completely agree with that. Going back to sort of New Zealand riding culture, there's sort of been hmm, some interesting bikes. And I know you were on a Laha back in the day, yeah. which is this, we did this bike check, which actually helped me out with loads. 
Um, really interesting bike. There's also been like Zeroids coming about. I know. Were you ever on a Zero? Did you ever have a, no, a swing it, leg? No, Ed raced on one in yeah. 2013 because it was, for him, it was the most reliable bike <laughs> that he could get <laughs> yeah, I bet. with the least work <laughs> mechanical maintenance re- required for a privateer. That, that's what you need. But am I right in thinking, did the Bulls have an idler? Or am I going... It had an idler, yeah. It was one of the early high pivot bikes. So um, it looked probably more similar to the Norco. Yeah. The Not the most recent one, but the one prior. And did and you... pretty sorry. similar to the common style as well, so... And did you like it? Yeah. At the time, it's hard to say. You always look around you when you're a young athlete and you're coming up, you think the grass is greener because... The shiny trucks and all the stuff looks looks better, of yeah. course. But yeah, the bike was actually really good, and I got some good results on that bike. So, um, looking back, yes, it was good. There were things that definitely needed improving on it, like it, it wasn't quite a finished product. Um, we had definitely quite a few issues, but the bike worked pretty well, and it was probably a, a couple of years ahead of in terms of design. And um, when you went on to GT. Did that feel like, I mean, you know, the Bulls setup, I imagine, was a bit smaller, um, maybe a bit more scrappy with the budget. GT is a really established bike brand that's been around for years. Was that kind of a, did you feel like, wow, shit, I've really made it now. Like, I've got a, a big bike brand that's going to offer me maybe a degree of security that someone like Bulls might not be able to match? Yeah, actually, like, the size of Bulls is probably way bigger than GT. Oh, because they just do for, the... <laughs> but they only sell the budget low-end bikes, and they've got a... Like, I think they've got 300 shops in Europe. Oh, shit. Well, that, but, that's um, me told. It's a big brand, but no one knows it. Mm. So then you sign for GT. It's like the brand that I grew up watching, you know? And that's kind of like a dream realized. And people then, I can tell them who I ride for and they know the brand, even if they don't follow the sport much. Yeah. So that made really a big difference. And then people would associate me with GT or GT with me either, either way. And it, it kind of, built me as an athlete as well so i think it was like at that point i needed to make that decision to to further my career a bit and um how much do you think being able to do the sort of the win tv stuff having something to say for yourself helped in terms of increasing your value as a rider do you think it played an integral part yeah or they kind of just yeah yeah probably like tenfold because i could have just kept going on like i had some good results of course but to perform well all the time is like pretty hard and you have some injuries and so on like it's really hard to stay consistent and I just on results alone I wouldn't have kept the career that I've that I've had now yeah right so people would recognize me pretty well just from watching all the content that I'll put out yeah whether it be wind tv or the wheelie wednesday stuff just riding bikes and having a laugh talking about it afterwards is kind of like what I like to do and um, the videos are not really a chore to make because it's something that I enjoy doing and speaking and hearing everyone's opinion on what they're doing or how they went you know so if we look back the wheelie Wednesday thing yeah obviously you've always been able to wheelie but now you're fucking really 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 good at it <laughs> really yeah. good at it at the start if you look back did you you must have felt the progression come on so much and it's kind of weird to have like your own little your own little meme of mountain biking that started from you you know yeah, kind of like, I don't know, I used to do wheelies to school when I was like 11 years old, so just try and wheelie there Channel that. the whole way to school, <laughs> and then from there, it's like the next thing, the next thing, and then we started the videos 
doing the weekly videos in 2014. And pretty much till now, I nearly didn't miss many weeks. But <laughs> I don't chase it as hard as I did before now because of social media algorithms and so on is more difficult now. Yeah. But um, yeah, I still try and put out a video each week if I can. Um, and if we do look back to your results, I think probably the one that will leap out will be that EWS win yeah. in Rotorua. What was it like in terms of... Hmm, well, one... How do you feel about it? Do you consider that to be your best, yeah, your best that, result? Like to win a world-level race in your home country on home turf, you can't really beat it. Yeah. Um, so that was probably, yeah, the biggest moment. And, and doing that was already like ticked a, go- a box in my career where I was like, well, I don't really have to chase that too hard anymore because I've already done it. Yeah. And so, did, you, did you feel pressure going into it? Yeah, of course. I actually got a podium at the one in 2015. So this, the next one was two years later. So I got my very first EWS was 2015 in Rotorua, and then I got on the podium. Um, that was pretty cool with the third place. And then the next one was two years later. I don't think I was riding maybe as good as 2015, but um, the conditions, it was pretty gnarly. And then I just pretty much played the... The card's right in those yeah. conditions, I guess. So, like, yeah, of course, there was some home turf advantage, but when it, when the conditions are like that, you have to be able to finish every stage and ride as clean as possible. There were some stages that where I had issues as well, so it was yeah. a pretty hard race. I mean, I think it is a brutal race, and I think that often with the... Hmm. I think that if you think about home turf advantage, it sounds like this, like, fix Like, oh, man, that's just going to make it easy. But actually, yeah. it comes with other complications that maybe the pressure... It's yeah. all one thing having home, home turf advantage, potentially. It's another thing to know all those trails you're going to race and actually bloody do it. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah, it's... Um, you can... Yeah, you definitely maybe know the trails better, but then when the rain comes and they change completely, yeah, true. your line that you was a good line in the dry is useless. Yeah. So you probably... It doesn't even help sometimes. And yeah. in that period, it felt like you had a good couple of years of Almost being more of a EWS rider than a downhill rider. Yeah. That's changed again in recent years. Is yep. that because of the format, because of the track style, because of just what you enjoy? What's, what's um, up with that? Yeah, d- d- the EWS, the years that I did through 2015 to 2019, 2020, those were like the best years of what I think Enduros. And then we've kind of lost the true essence of Enduro in the World Series anyway. Um, now it's like a one-day race pretty short format there's often like a day of riding then a rest day i'm like i I was there to ride and that's kind of gone and the adventure side of the sport that is enduro is gone as well so i'm like i don't really want to be spending my time doing that when it's not what i what it used to be so what would if you could make the win masters (laughs) best enduro in the world what would it look like where would it be what format would it be how many stages um well, if, if I was to make Enduro World Series the whole thing, then I would mix like races like Mega Avalanche and stuff as well to just co- kind of keep it interesting. Um, and then we would have some long like two-day races because Enduro format with two-day race, then it's two days of practice as well. Mm. So it's, it's four big days on the bike. And we're going to Chile, Colombia, like all these places where no one had seen anyone riding there. And we go there and ride all the best tracks. So everyone was envious of like 
what we're doing. Yeah. And that's kind of missing now from the sport. It felt like at the heart of enduro for a long time was, wow, that looks like the best riding I could ever do. Yeah. Like I aspire just to ride that track. Yeah. Now it's like, eh, eh, good, yeah. good for them. In the yeah. same way that maybe I'd feel about when the downhill was at that very bike park Elia gang track. Like, oh, yeah, good yeah. for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we do think about um, that style of enduro though, it feels like, hmm. It feels like there was a stage where it got almost a bit, like maybe 2017, it was like when it, that, it rained all the time. Yeah. And it maybe seemed really quite gnarly. Like, yeah. was that, is that what enduro should be to you? Yeah, I think so. Like, if you call it enduro, then you need to require some endurance. Yeah. So I think you should have to train to be able to finish the event. Yeah, right. Like, you need to be an athlete if you're going to finish like a big race, you know? So I think, yes, it does need to be. Um, but then you can, of course, have shorter races as well. You you can mix it up. And do you think, you know, we have this thing now where enduro, you know, coming under the umbrella of the UCI and now it's sort of, you know, right up there with downhill. But in some ways it's felt like it's actually become like a bit of a warm-up act. It doesn't yeah. really feel like the real deal. It doesn't feel no. like a World Series event and that prestigious. It's also quite hard to cover. Do you think the way to do it <laughs> in terms of spectator-friendly, in terms of getting everyone in one place, could you not have, and this is going to sound daft, but hear me out, a day of racing and you, you know, you get your time gaps and then the grand finale is you start at the top of a mountain, like mass start style, and say if you're 11 seconds ahead, then you get 11 seconds head start yeah. and the next person goes and then suddenly it would just be there like, I mean, obviously I don't want people, it's kind of daft because the, the rate of injury could be higher, but also in terms of a spectator friendly thing, things like the Mega Avalanche are yeah. visually really impressive. You're like, fuck, yeah. that's wild. Yeah. That's cool. They used to do some races like that in France sometimes where they, you would start at your time gaps. So that that's quite a cool format. Another thing that I liked from some French EWS races years ago was that you would do one practice run and you're not allowed to stop. Oh, you're not allowed to st Shit. <laughs> yeah. You're not allowed to stop or push up anywhere. Yeah. But you do one rolling through practice run and then you go up and do your race run. Yeah, that'd be sick. And you do that every stage. I think so they, they run the event through like that. They said search, search people's bags for hiking poles as well. But like, no walking. Yeah. Why you got hiking yeah, like <laughs> No one travels anywhere to go and walk mountain bike trails. Mm. Not, not a chance. Like, that's, that's not fun. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you like hiking, well, then you'd go and walk a hiking trail. But you don't go and walk the mountain bike trail. So this doesn't make sense for this format to be like everyone goes and walks all the trails. Like, that's not cool. Or fun. And as an elite level rider, and you're walking, I don't know, fucking God, there's like 20 or 30k of trail. Yeah. How much even goes in? Because well, like, I would just be there like, man, I had raspberries there, found a blueberry bush there, I drank from a stream there, and I, like, I lost my phone there. That'd be my day. <laughs> they just try to remember the key corners that would catch you out, but, but then the track also changes as well. So it's a big job to do, but it is somewhat an advantage if you want to go after it like that, but I don't know. I think it's not really necessary. I didn't. I didn't do too much walking when I was racing enduro. So yeah, it seemed. I don't like to go walking. I'd rather go and ride my bike. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And um, do you see any place for in the you know what enduro is? Make you know getting it back to be this prestigious sport. Do you see any space for like e enduro in that? Because I believe you did like the X the e bike world champs one year yeah. and stuff like this. 
Do you yeah, think I've done could- the. I did the e-bike world champs here in Montsonan, twenty nineteen. Mm. Um, that was just a suffer fest, and there's a massive difference in the, all the different bikes. So, <laughs> yeah. and riders as well. Like if you're a light white rider, then you have a huge advantage over a heavy rider. So I'm not going to be a good e-bike cross country racer ever. Yeah, but it was cool to be involved in the first one. Um. And then I've done one EEWS last year, I think, in Finale. And, yeah, I think maybe there's place for it, but I don't know if it's ever going to be something that people want to follow or watch. I'm not sure. Yeah. There, but- there's definitely the market there, but none of the market watches e-bike Enduro and goes, wow, I want to buy a bike. Yes. Like, that's... <laughs> then they're buying... The majority of e-bike market are, like, putting mirrors on their handlebars and a million different computers and all sorts gps things on there (laughs) they're not really like people that are going hardcore mountain biking yeah Um, Yeah. if we think about if we if now we have the equivalency for the enduro world cup instead of ews and then we sort of in retrospect change that bros you and your brother are world cup winners yeah i don't think are there any can you think of any other instances of that where siblings have both you know of the same so there's like Mick and Tracy Hanna, etc. Yeah. in the Athens, but like of the same gender, are both won an elite level World Cup because I think that must it must be pretty rare. Yeah, not too many. Maybe um, yeah, there's well, only the Athens really. Maybe mm. Dan and oh, of course he well he won a four yeah. say yeah. Um, on your day, real talk, the million yeah. dollar question you used to do like you know Battle of the Brothers and all this yeah. already. On your day, who do you think's the it depends on the on the year, really, because <laughs> yeah, so- it took Ed a long time to find some consistency to finish races. Mm. So he, w- he used to be a bit of a loose operator, some the occasional good run, but yep. not as many as, as there should be. And then I would probably ride a lot more um, conservative, maybe, and a bit cleaner yep. than than, and maybe less risk. Do you, was it a good having him? growing up was yeah. it did, yeah to like bounce yeah off? we grew up uh our childhood was pretty good with like dirt jumps in our backyard we'd just push each other and have friends over as well and then it'd just be like always some sort of competition yeah so yeah that definitely helps and you're you're both pretty you're both somewhat eccentric i'd say i don't know if you yeah. agree with that was, was was your family kind of all kind of yeah they're quite straight talking but eccentric at the same time you're both pretty out there yeah um yeah my Dad likes cycle touring, so he's just been in India doing a six-week cycle touring Sick. trip. My mum didn't go on this one because she's 72 now and she's avoiding the Himalayas because <laughs> it was up to 5,000 metres. Holy shit. But she rides horses every day. So we grew up actually horse riding, and um, that was the first comp- competitive sport we did was uh, riding horses. And were you competitive with each other? Yeah. Yeah. Like to to a fault or was it always okay? Uh, well, I had a bigger horse because I was bigger, <laughs> but so so it was easier for me to win in the jumping competitions. But yeah, we definitely push each other to do stupid things on the horses. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I grew up on a farm and my mom really wanted me to ride horses. Yeah. And I was on a like first ride, like not first ride, but like I was kind of getting into it a bit. And I was on this little pony called Squirrel and I was real small and it bolted <laughs> and I was never, I was like, I'm not getting on a horse again. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because I always think like, how can you trust something that can think for itself? Yeah, and she's yeah. like, how can you trust a bike that can't think? For, like the horse will 
think for itself. It will have an element yeah, yeah. of survival. Yeah. But dude, there's no fucking way I'd get on a horse again. Like never, ever, ever, ever. Yeah, we rode until we were like eleven or twelve. It must be pretty the, good then. Could the you... horses got sold, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you ridden a horse in recent years? Not much. No, like a few years ago in Portugal on holiday. But yeah, I could still do like some jumps. If yeah. <laughs> We'd, it, you'd get it back, but you would be a bit rusty to start with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, over the years, you know, you've been with GT since, what was it, 2015, did you say? Like yeah, that? started at 2016. 2016. Yeah. Um, they've had some interesting bikes. I mean, I think they kind of, they persevered with that iDrive thing for quite a long time. Yeah. Then they went to that, the previous generation Fury to what you are now, which seemed in some ways like a really well sorted bike, but it did have some outliers. I think it was quite a low front, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, and now you've got this new Fury. Yeah. What's that been like? And has there been any kind of cultural changes within GT since they got acquired? And now they're kind of part of a bigger, a bigger picture. Do you think? Yeah, they've. Um, it's been quite a few changes as I've all the time that I've been there. Um, on the bike front, the latest Furious by far the best downhill bike that I've raced on. Mm. Um, it just is a lot easier to ride at the limit that you need to ride to race World Cups. The previous one was easy to ride, but the limit was not as high. Right, yes. So you could you could reach your yours and the bike's limit quicker. On this one now, it takes you can, you've got to push it more to reach the limit of the bike. Um. And that's quite nice to race World Cups on a bike like that. Yeah. Because, I, I, sorry, yeah, go on. I think, yeah, it's hard to, really hard to get a bike right for racing World Cups, but then also for the consumers, pretty tricky. But, um, what would you say the biggest differences would be between well, what like, your average Joe wants and a pro? Generally, you wouldn't want to ride my bike. Like, if you were like an everyday guy, they'd get on my bike and they were like, wow, it's the forks are so hard. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, you can't go fast if they're not. So they're not going to have a good time on it, and, and you wouldn't you wouldn't want to set their bike up like that. But then I'd set their bike up with things harder than they thought they needed it because mm-hmm. you see a lot of people just deep in their travel and they can't control their bike. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, I I feel like you're looking into my soul when you when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is there any kind of how how much into the tech are you? Are you someone that kind of goes down into the the geometry and the nitty gritty, or are you kind of more broad strokes when it comes to bike setup? Yeah, I just try and get it comfortable and go from there. Yeah. Um, don't go too crazy. It's, but it's, you, there's like after, I don't know, 20-odd years of riding bikes, there's a feeling you kind of think you're chasing and then you find some some sort of comfort and you go from there. It feels like the GT squad, they've got some really good, I think Ethan looks like a really solid proposition coming into Elite. You know, he's really finding his pace now. Yeah. Um, and also... Pinkerton seems like well he's obviously had an amazing year yeah he kind of sadly is you know busted up his ribs I think in here here yeah yeah um do you think is he does he what's what's your impression of him do you seem like the real deal do you think he'll is he because I think sometimes there's like a lot of expectation can be put when someone wins so much in juniors yeah. do you think that he's going to suffer from that um no I think he can do it it's just yeah putting everything together in that first elite season is hard it's taken a lot of the top riders now a few years to really have their breakout season. Um, maybe he comes out swinging, but it's hard to say until we get to those races. Like everyone's had a different road to the top, I think. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure he can do it for sure. With the times he's been doing, he's been doing a lot of times the fastest time of the day. 
so that's like super impressive to do yeah. that as a junior and then Ethan as well is keeps building every year so we should see him on a podium sooner than later yeah I yeah. think so yeah have you guys the you know the elder statesman of the GT pits talk to Pinkerton about his middle finger breaking and tried to talk him out of it or does he just love it too much <laughs> no no that's that's his thing and <laughs> his thing. and I think um the last rider to do that was Sean Palmer I think yeah um probably what Sean Palmer yeah um Steve Jones from Dirt oh yeah. he used to be middle finger breaking pretty yeah. sure at least for a good part of it yeah I'm pretty sure Sean Palmer did it as well so yeah maybe there's a couple good, good riders there yeah yeah <laughs> totally yeah um so as you said there was an acquisition of GT by Pon, Pon own other brands. Yeah. What do you think that's meant to GT? And what do you think it means for the future? Well, Pon is the biggest bicycle company in the world. They own a whole bunch of different companies. Um, so I think they've brought into GT. Now they, they're really going to have to restructure the brand to deliver a good benefit to them. So it puts the pressure on anyone that's working at GT and now it's like kind of a restructure with the brain. Um, I think, yeah, there's going to be quite a few changes. What, what do you think GT needs to, do you think it needs to be or represent anything? What do you think is the essence of GT? Well, it's one of the original racing brands. Um, it was many people's first mountain bike or like performance mountain bike. So go back and focus on the performance bikes, um, not focusing on $500 budget bikes and and be like an affordable but great bike yeah compared to like the sister brand now kind of because santa cruz is also owned yes you would say they're sister brand um they're a lot more high-end so you would say gt is like the the cheaper version but mm -hmm. same performance yeah yeah it, but there's also cannondale kind of factor in there as well i think yeah. hey and it's funny to see i don't know cannondale another prestigious brand that's yeah. had long long history in racing we spoke about before but i thought the coolest thing candel ever did was this is a test with um simmons and kenta gallagher yeah and i thought i was just so sick man just yeah, like yeah. those white or black kits yeah and this degree of mystery and curiosity and they canned it and then they just do this not even free ride like jib stuff and i was just yeah. like what this is nonsense yeah, yeah, yeah. Just complete completely different yeah they didn't they didn't have a long-term vision on on that one yeah clearly. i know yeah. i just but obviously, I think Josh Bison's maybe an outlier. I think he's, he's yeah. the way he rides a bike. I'm always stoked to see his videos and stuff. And I think it is cool they just backed him to, you know, to make what, what he thinks is good. Yeah. But that two-shock downhill bike. Because yeah. I also heard a rumour that, I don't know if it's true. I was hoping to speak to him about it this week, actually. Because I think they, wasn't Jack Moyer meant to ride for them? Yeah, he was. Yeah. And then so it didn't quite, and that's when he had that thing. It didn't work out. And yeah, in the end, he ended up with an enduro contract for significantly less money. And it, yeah, it was really a disaster for his career, but yeah. it re rebooted his career and he went a different direction. Yeah. I think sometimes like the shittest thing to happen in hindsight can turn out to be a really, one of the really yeah. good things because they force you to change in a way that perhaps you wouldn't have anyway. Yeah. But I think sometimes, you know, Jack Moore, obviously now a world champion in AWS or Enduro, but I think people forget what a podium threat he was on his day. You know, those pink yeah. gloves on, on yeah. that like... With that, when it was like Dean Lucas, Charlie yeah, yeah. Harrison, and that intense team was really something special. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully we see Jack back on a downhill bike at some point. He's definitely loving it trackside. He's great, hey. Yeah, he's having a great time and um, putting out some great content. So it's he's good for the sport. He's but yeah, you, but the same with you know you, yeah. your brother, Jack, 
have kind of, to be honest with you, kind of carried carried some parts of the sport when they haven't haven't quite had it there. I think especially like Jacks and um, your brother's foot from EWSs, well, sorry, yeah. EDRs, has must have. I mean, sometimes it's the only thing you see. Yeah. Before a World Cup event. Yeah. Or or after you don't even know what what happened in the race, but then you can watch Jack's video and see how it went, who won, what happened, and he'll take you inside the sport. Um, you don't get that sort of access anywhere. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Also, I think it's cool because you guys, because you know people and people respect you, you can offer a level of like directness or like tongue in cheek bullshit given. Yeah. That it wouldn't, like if, if I did it, it would be like, dude, can you just fuck off? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and be like, no, but it was funny when Wynn did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just, yeah, we, we know these guys for 10, 12, 15 years. So the the ones that we're racing against and other Kiwis and that even more. So we can definitely give each other some <laughs> shit and it, it makes it a bit more interesting. You know, you see people's true personalities shine through mm. rather than just, yeah, I had a great race today. Yeah. It, it was good. Yeah. yeah. It, sometimes it can come a bit. I think media training is like, it's actually the opposite of what we want. Yeah. But it offers for brands. It's like we can have someone that is a consistent six out of 10 rather than either a four or an eight or a nine or a, you know what I mean? They have, they have that degree of control. Yeah. When you, um, when you think back about, you know, you said, because the World Cup racing is one of those things that you have raced consistently probably against the same riders for the best part, well, over a decade now. Well, decade and a half, I suppose, 2008. Mm. Is there anyone that you always sort of, you know, do you have any sort of like smaller kind of people you always want to beat who's like, you always like, oh fuck, they got me again or uh, any like friendly rivalries? Not too much recently but yeah over the years for sure there was some and and definitely the key one would have been racing against my brother for a few years we had some good battles for a few years um where we were like pretty even i didn't know whether how, how so, serious it was but did you, were you in it like properly yeah you you're racing yeah, yeah so suppose, yeah but like for me it was like i'd rather he beats me than anyone else so you'd take it with a grain of salt if he does but you still want to beat him yeah yeah. You line up to race at the end of the day, so once the gate drops, the bullshit stops. I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, but um, yeah, we we always enjoyed a good battle. Yeah. When do you think was like vintage? When when what what year were you riding best? Would you say? Do you um, have like a time you thought, "Fuck that time"? I, there was something about my confidence, or maybe physical, or whatever. You're just like, I was on it. Yeah, there were some good times in. Around 15, 16, 17, a couple of years through there, where it was like a lot more dialed. Mm. Um, but that's just like your edge, everything. You can't really put a finger on why or what, but yeah, it's sometimes things just come together better than other years. Mm. And do you think that there was a sort of a, a period of World Cup tracks which you thought was... Well, what, what year from 2008 to 2023 had the best World Cup calendar that you raced, do you think? It's hard to say. Or what um, kind of, was it like a couple of years? Because it felt like, like oh, 2017. I probably enjoyed like when I first came in because we were still racing places like Schladming, Champery. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's hard to say if the tracks would be the same now because we're on different bikes. Yeah. But coming in and racing those tracks and on the older bikes gave like a true experience of like, you had to be a really skilled rider to perform. <laughs> and now you can be a little bit brave and pretty strong mm. and perform. So it changed a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, though, that that's maybe part of the 
problem with modern downhill is the bikes are so good and the tracks are taped and well are so fast mm. that actually like is that of benefit to the rider the fact that now they're just going faster including yeah. the same amount of risk when actually yeah, it might be better to go slow and yeah i'd rather go down a really steep track that has more corners than a super fast track but then loic on the other hand would like to go down the fast track mm. he, he he said that monsonan this weekend's too slow so he likes it <laughs> faster Fuck. Yeah. But um yeah, he's got a different way of thinking, but and the fast tracks seem to favour him, so he plays to his strengths. But we came from last week in snowshoe. I mean, even maybe it's just more of a season, maybe it's the format. I mean, I haven't run the numbers, so it's only speculation, but it feels like there were some at certain races this year, mm. there have been real bouts of lots of people getting injured. Yeah. Which is opposite of what we want. Yeah. Do you ever put the, do you put that down to the track, the format, or just the competition being so fierce? Yeah, coming out at the first race, they already like they were trying to make the tracks shorter, so they made it straighter. Oh And shit. that was actually way more dangerous. There was like some sections where there was a lot of big accidents for well, mainly Henry due Kerr, to the taping. There was I think. Ben Cathro. Yeah, this section, section Henry yeah. Kerr. Yeah, um, that was mainly due to taping, less corner, so people just came in faster into G out, and mm. then they go flying off. I think. They've tried to slow that down a little bit, but maybe it's pretty hard to do now. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's hard to say what they could do to, to make it safer. It used to be, yeah. it used to feel like, at least from a spectator, that Monsanto was like the flat out track of the year. Yeah. And now it's not even, it's yeah, average if anything. I know. don't think it is anymore. So yeah. maybe Andorra might, maybe it's and flat Andorra, out. Yeah. That Andorra track is a really amazing spectacle. Yeah. I think it looks, you know, I mean, it's, it's really cool. Do you think it's much worth racing? It feels like it changes a lot. It feels like it's, it's yeah. one line to the top. You know? Yeah, I, I don't, personally, for me, I don't like it that much. Yeah. I like the old Andorra track because they had all the steep sections yeah. and that, but um, it's not my favourite, just the flat out tracks, but yeah. the people like it as well, so leave everyone open to their opinion, but... If, it feels yeah. like if you rode motocross you'd already have a hand up like yeah if you're just used to going really fast really fast yeah 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 so as we start to wind this down i want you to imagine that you have a magic wand and with all this disruption that's going on you know for good or for bad with the eso <laughs> and the you know, remodeling of what downhill is you can come in and you can throw in a couple of rule changes yourself or you can change the structure of how a weekend works or you know yeah increase what 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 do you think would be top of your list um well first of Ball for me would be cut cut out the semi final. Yeah, it's. I think really, they'll probably cut it. Eh? They, it's after. pointless. They probably will. Yeah, because it's not added to the viewing experience. Yeah, if anything, it's taken away from it because it, you can't sit down and watch six hours of downhill. <laughs> I tried, man. Yeah, it was. Imagine trying to commentate on six yeah. months of six hours of downhill. Yeah, like the so same how can shots. you even be excited? Yeah. But um, yeah, I'd cut that out first and then probably work on the commentary team a bit because, uh, or change it around a bit. I don't think it delivers the best viewing experience at the moment and it doesn't, it doesn't improve on the previous, uh, what Red Bull was doing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it must be really hard though coming in. Yeah, of course. To, to the first ones are always going to come in for so much flack. Yeah. Whether, I mean, whether, whether they're good or not is, is, is a matter of personal opinion and stuff like that and without commenting on that I think Rob Warner is such an icon of the sport and is so loved 
like not many other professions. It must be brutal coming in and trying to fill his boots. Of course, yeah. But um, yeah, I think there's maybe, yeah, of course we probably can't get robbed, but maybe there is people that we could take that could do this job. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think at the moment they don't have the right recipe to make a, a great production yet. But it's getting better with adding Aaron was great because yeah. he's really good on the fly. He knows exactly what's happening. And he's actually taken a lot more notice than anyone would realize of what other writers were doing throughout his career. Even though he was winning everything, he's kind of, he knows what other writers did all, all these other races as well. So he, he remembers a lot of things. A lot more than I thought someone would that's dominated the sport. I think also, I think you are, he does have a lot of insight. I think also something that's occurred to me is that I think his kind of like slightly kind of dry sense of humor really translates well for commentary. Yeah. He's not, he's never shouting. He's just there like, oh, and then and, you know, he, he leaves like yeah. a pregnant pause or he yeah. bounces onto something. And it's, it's actually going to be really quite funny yeah, as well. Yeah, he's good. He just needs a, the right hype man. Yeah. And then they could bounce off each other. So I think, yeah, that, that that's pretty key, mm. um, getting that right. And then, yeah, hopefully take the sport to a lot more countries that we don't race in now. Like I've seen... I've heard rumors that the schedule next year is only one race outside Europe and here in Montserrat. Wow. That's not that's, great for that's the sport. Going back. Yeah, that's going backwards. Like, we need to race in the US on the West Coast. We need to race in South America. We need to race in Asia. Like, those markets are big uh, and they, they will show up to watch the sport. The, these current people seem to be more worried about the broadcast production than the event on site. They're not really caring about the fan that comes on site. And I think that misses the point a bit because the whole atmosphere of the event is those people on site as well. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the iconic races the last couple of years, yeah. you think Leger, you think about people actually running on the course here. Yeah. You know, it's for Finn's win. Yeah. Um, I mean, I totally agree. If I actually asked the same question to Burke, if you could have any World Cup, uh, sorry, a World Cup in any part of New Zealand, mm -hmm. where would you choose? Um, for me, as yeah, I would like to see one in the North Island, of course, but because that's where I'm from. But I, w I would say Queenstown just because you could probably have the race in town, like, yeah, like finished, in Skyline. Yeah, if it was on mm. Skyline, it finished in town. I mean, how much better could it be if if they could actually do that? I don't know the logistics of making that happen. I think they're trying to get one at Coronet, but that's not in town. But like, if you finish in town, that brings the sport to the people. Yeah. This is what we need more of. I think, that, yeah. I think that's probably a good way to sum it up. Yeah. I mean, did you hear about the landslide there in Queenstown? Yeah, the mud looked pretty bad. Pretty bad. Yeah. But it might have just made a very nice finished paddock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just destroying all those structures. Wow, you can just roll those RVs straight in. Well, now, now at least if we go to New Zealand, they don't have all the big trucks, so we don't need the big car park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So the more overseas races, the better. Then we don't have all the problem with the parking issue and everyone's got big trucks and no that's space. That's what's kind of cool here. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's actually really nice. And I think it actually ships back to what downhill is. It's basically a rider, yeah. the mechanic, if they're lucky to have one, yeah. a spare set of wheels and spikes on and go and give it hell. And I think yeah, that's and cool. that's the essence of our sport. We don't need to be MotoGP, Formula One. We never will be. But it's the Formula yeah. One of mountain biking. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> no, but we just, won't be the... We're not going to be showing up to a racetrack. But and all I, mean, this. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of criticisms which papered over by. But it's the Formula One of mountain biking. Yeah. It's like they have 23 races in the year, and he's paid 30 million dollars. Yeah, this is a different world. Yeah, 
and and I don't want to be paid thirty million dollars either. Like, yeah, of course the money sounds great, but that's not going to make it enjoyable for you to be an athlete. Mm. Like, no, totally. I think some people miss this point. Like, I yeah. think so too. I think it's that thing. Like, there's a shitty little story I once heard. You know, a man's fishing in the village, and yeah. someone says, um, "Oh, well, why don't you fish twice as much, and then you can sell the fish?" And he's like, "Oh, and what then?" He's like, "Well." After you do that for a couple of years, you can buy a second boat and then you can pay someone else. Yeah. And then you can get double as much fish to, to, to really earn some money. He's like, okay, cool. And what happens then? He's like, well, if you do that for long enough, you can make enough money so you can retire. Yeah. And he's like, what happens then? Well, you, like, well, you can do what you can do. Enjoy. What would you enjoy? He's like, I just want to fish. So yeah. well, then you can fish. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, fuck. <laughs> Why don't I just do it now? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I think you're right. But yeah, and, it's, um, it's easy to get caught up maybe chasing the greener pasture that looks like the shiny track and all that. But I think, yeah, we don't need to try and be like another sport. We should be our sport and yeah. be authentic to what is our sport. Authentic. Yeah. That's a probably the yeah. right word. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate that. No problem. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>